Lord, we give you all the praise because you are most deserving of it. Lord, it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You guys have a seat. Amen. What an awesome worship service. What an awesome day it is. What an exciting time at North Point. Just for me to follow up with a sermon that uh, you might not like so much. But we are starting a new series called Thanks and Giving. Uh, yes, we're going to talk about tithe and stewardship. Now, before you, you question, because like, wait, this is a typical pastor talk right here. You need money, so you're going to preach on tithing. No, okay, that's not it at all. Uh, every year around Thanksgiving time, I've, I've just said, you know, that's a good time. Let's talk about some sense of stewardship. So it falls in the lieu of what time of season it is right now. So we're kicking off a four-week series on thanks and giving, and uh, we'll kind of jump into that. And so hopefully you enjoy it. If you don't, lie to me and tell me you did anyway, just so I feel better about myself when I go home and uh, all that good stuff. So, uh, so with that being said, we're going to kick off with a question. If you're new here, I like to kind of kick off with some dialogue back and forth to people around you, just to allow you just to say hey to maybe someone you haven't said hey to, and maybe uh, ask some fun questions. And so here's one. Here, here's a softball question I have. I've had some hard ones in the past, like how do you survive an attack by an anaconda and other weird stuff like that. Today is a very rational, sane, just down-to-earth question. Here it is. What are you thankful for? There it is, plain and simple. Look at the person next to you and share real quick. Uh, husbands, if your wife's next to you, you might start with your wife. I'll just give you a little, throw you a softball lob there so it's a better ride home. Uh, but take a second. Right next to you, what are you thankful for? This is the quietest it's ever been after a question. I'm kind of worried. You guys might really need to listen to the sermon today. Uh, I don't know. Okay, maybe here's a better question. Let's follow up with this one. Here's another one for you. How can you tell if someone is truly grateful? What are the signs you look for for you? If you were to say, this is how I know if someone is grateful, how, how do you know? What's your litmus test for that? Take a second, real quick. We'll try this one. Maybe this one goes a little better for you. Uh, so take a second, answer that question with people next to you. How can you tell if someone is truly grateful? If someone laughs during my sermon right there. See? Listen, y'all need to have the energy of this one right here during the whole sermon right here. So take a second, answer that question. How can you tell if someone is truly grateful? I don't know if there's certain telltale signs you look for to show if someone has shown gratuity for, or, you know, gratefulness for what you've done. Uh, I, I remember right after Emily and I got married, we, we got an unthank you card. Anybody ever got one of those? 
true story. So we got, we got married and came back for our honeymoon, and, and we're going through all the, the, the loot uh, from the wedding that people give you and stuff and whatnot, and uh, college students right in the middle of finals and other stuff like that, dealing with all that sort of stuff. And about three weeks went by, and uh, we, we got a letter in the mail, an anonymous letter from someone that says, it has been three weeks since your wedding. Uh, I have not received a thank you card from you yet. Um, are you just truly that ungrateful? Which me, being the you know, very mature Christian person, in spite said, I'm not going to write anybody a thank you card now. <laughs> like, forget you. You know, like, this is what it's about. Uh, the best gift I, got was, the gift I got was from my Aunt Linda, who actually goes to church here. She came to me, gave us a gift. She says, if you give me a thank you card, I will kill you. And I was like, I love this woman. You know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know what you tell. Like, how can you tell someone's thank you, thankful or not? Uh, and maybe to you, this, this topic of thanks and giving might seem like, man, a snoozer for you. And the challenge for us is not just to be just pedestrian with this topic because it actually affects us at a very deep level when it comes to our walk with God. And the series is all about exploring the marriage between gratitude and generosity. The reality is this, you understand this, generosity is a product of gratitude. What you're grateful for, you will give towards You'll see that time and time again. In the same loo, in the same breath as this, is gratitude is a product of salvation. When you've truly experienced salvation, you've really experienced life-changing salvation through Jesus Christ, that there's no other response but thanks for God. And when you lack that, often it's we don't understand the depth of salvation of what Christ has done for us. And so it's important we talk about these sort of things. That's why for church, honestly, with worship and we watch and see, and even with tithes and offerings, we look at those things, not just to say, well, how great are we doing and financially sort of stuff, but the reality is tithes and worship, how people respond, are our thermometers of the church's spiritual condition. They tell us a lot about where we are spiritually and what our understanding of who God is. Well, like, think of it this way. Think in your own life or other people. You will cheer for and give to what you are passionate about, Right? You will. You will. If you're an OU fan, you, you might be a booster. You might give money to something. I mean, the millions of dollars people give to these sports stuff just because they're passionate about their team winning and stuff. They, they, they will cheer and scream and act like hooligans like they've never done before. If your kid is in band or something and you're passionate about your kids, you will give money and time and energy and you will cheer on things that you never thought you would cheer on before, right? Because you give and you cheer on what you're passionate about. And for often for us, it's hard for us in church to find that passion and hunger for God. And it all goes back to an attitude of thankfulness, an attitude of gratitude we have. And so week one and two, we're going to focus on the heart of being thankful. And week three and four, we're going to focus on the practice of giving. Because it all stems, it all flows out of those sort of things. And so I'll, I'll confess my inadequacy on this topic. I'm not standing here as a perfect person who is always grateful. If you spent any time with me, you would know that at all. As I often get pinned as a very negative... A little too hard laughing in the congregation today. Uh, I still have soft spots that hurt. So uh, anyways, um, yeah, you get pegged as a negative person. And even giving, I remember for years, Emily and I, uh, we, we struggled with tithing to the church because we never stewarded our finances as well and we never came to a point. And finally, thank goodness, we went through actually Financial Peace University and came to the realization that we need to, finance, to steward our finances better. And once we started doing that stuff, we started giving the Lord. Like there was a different, different sense of praise that came from that. And so there's something that we have to explore. We can't neglect this attitude. And so, and so why is an attitude of gratitude important, would you say? Like, let me ask you another way. Would you say you're a grateful person, honestly? Honestly, ask yourself, would you say you're a grateful person? Now, now whatever answer you just said, now here's the one to follow up. Would others say? What would others say about you? Because what you say about yourself and what others say are completely different things. As a matter of fact, statistically speaking, one in ten people are truly thankful. Nine out of ten are not. 
You say, well, where do you get your statistics from? Uh, the Bible. So open your Bible to Luke chapter 17. We have a case study of the very situation right here, about 1 in 10 who are grateful and 9 in 10 who are not. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 9, we're gonna, 19. We're going to read it and then uh, give you a big idea and come and unpack it. Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. As you're turning there, I'll tell you, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem at this point. He's about halfway, three-quarters through the way of his ministry. If you don't know what the big deal is, he's heading to Jerusalem to die on the cross. He knows it's coming, but not everyone else does. He's dropped subtle hints here and there that, hey, my time is coming. His disciples, which I fear I see myself too much in, never pick up on the clues, like pick up what Jesus is putting down. And so Jesus is heading on his way, and as he's heading on his way, he runs across a situation that we're going to pick up right here. So Luke chapter 17, hopefully you're there by now. Verse 11 through 19, we'll read it all. It says, as Jesus continued toward Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. And as he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Like, like, where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. What a weird text, to be honest. If you just, it's just a weird story, and the way it flows and everything about it. The, the big idea I'm going to have, have you see, hopefully you pull from this, is this right here. Is thankfulness leads us into the presence of God, but ungratefulness will lead us away from him. And you see this going on in the story right here. You have one man that, because of his thankfulness, leads him back to the feet of Jesus Christ, but the others who are ungrateful continue to walk away. And so what's going on here is we unpack Luke chapter 17, verse 11 through 19. It's a lot of things. Jesus, again, is on his way to Jerusalem, and I love how interruptible Jesus is. Like, he's on a mission, but yet he still stops to care and minister to people. I don't know about you, but I struggle. Like, I have agendas, I have plans, I have structure to my life, and when something messes that up, I get all frazzled, and I get, man, I don't want this. And I constantly have to pray to God, man, God, interrupt my plans for today. Like, do something with me. Like, I know I think this is what I should be doing, but blow it up. Because why? Because what you see with Jesus, as he's going, he comes across these people. He just comes across their path. And what's interesting, they're on the outside of town, and they see Jesus, and it says, from a distance, they cry out, Lord, have mercy on us. Why are they doing this? Well, we know it says because they have leprosy. Now, leprosy back then is not what we understand it today. We know leprosy is a skin disease that people get and, and, and deal with, but back then it was a generic term for a variety of different type of skin issues you could have had. It could be anything, anything from psoriasis to true leprosy. Symptoms range from like white patches on the skin to running sores to the loss of digits on the fingers. And lepers, if you got diagnosed with leprosy, any of these kind of skin conditions, they would tell you you were unclean, unfit to be around God's people. You, you, you must have touched something unclean or done something unclean in your life. There, there's no way that you've done, there's something wrong done. And you would be outcast from society, away from family, away from church, not allowed to go in. Imagine that. Suddenly they're all outside and you're not allowed to go and even come in the presence in them. Every time you walked around someone, you had to scream out, unclean, unclean, so people from a distance know to stay away from you. You wore tattered clothes as an outward symbol that you were unclean. Imagine the shame that constantly went around with this. And Jesus comes across, and they're from a distance screaming. Why? Because they're being faithful to what's going on in their life. Jesus, have mercy. 
We, we have no long how they've been like this. It could have been their entire life. It could have been a couple days. I don't know, but can you imagine what's going through their heart? They are so miserable, and they crowd to Jesus. I, I think it's interesting how much they value Jesus at the moment, because we know the rest of the story. They don't value him the whole time. Like, God seems to be valued when we need him, but forgotten when we don't. Isn't that so true? Like, God, I need you. God, if you would just bail me out of this one thing, but as soon as he does, we immediately forget. I can't tell you how many prayers and calls. God, listen, I know I didn't study for this test. I should have. But if you get me through this one, like, homeboy, I promise, next one, like, I will, I will go to church. I will do all this sort of stuff, and I'd get through it. I'm like, whoo, all right, God, I'm good. It's the same thing with my kids. I remember one day one of my kids fell down, and I hear him, help, help, help. And I run in there to go and save them. And I get them done, and I sit down, like, thank you, Daddy. And I sit down, and they look at me and go, I'm done with you now. <laughs> and I'm like, gee, thanks. They just needed me to save the day. How often do we come to Jesus and say, God, I need your help. But as soon as he does, we immediately forget him and tuck him back away. Jesus does something interesting. When they cry out to him, he tells them, he says, go show yourself to the priest. What a weird statement. Why, why does he say this? Because the only way they can be cleansed of their leprosy, not cleansed, but be told, is they had to go to a priest according to the Levitical law, and a priest would examine them. And if they no longer had the skin disease, the, leper, the, the priest would then look at them and say, you now have a bill of health and you can enter back into society. Now, these guys are not cleansed at this point. Jesus goes, and there's an act of faith that it takes just to go. They get and they start walking. Is that not amazing? Would you just sit there and go, whatever, yeah, okay, no, no, no thanks, whatever. Instead, they start walking, and in the process of the act of faith of walking, they suddenly become healed. Well, like, it's interesting to me that their, their faith caused them and enticed them to leave, but their faith never enticed them to come back. It never brings them back to Christ. Like, the healing doesn't come until they leave. And so they leave, and as they go, yet one of them, it says, as he saw that he was cleansed, as he saw his leprosy was gone, came back to Jesus. And we learn later what happens. Who, who is this guy? It's a weird drop of nugget in the verse 16. It says, this man was what? A Samaritan. It, it doesn't tell us this information until the end. But like, it's kind of like, it's kind of like the, 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 the twist, the plot twist in a movie. Like, whoa, hold on a second. What's going on here? A Samaritans were outcasts even of other people. You had the Jews, which were the chosen people of God. Samaritans were these impure bred people, more or less, who they're married Gentile people, and so they were outcasts. They were treated as less than. And you have this one guy who was, by every stretch of the imagination, not just because he has leprosy, but also because he's a Samaritan, was considered unclean just because of who he was. You were less than. You are a sinner. This has been pinned on his entire life, yet he's the one who comes back. Even Jesus later says, are you the only, this foreigner is the one to come back. It gives the impression of all the other men there, all the other people that were there, were most likely Jewish people. And yet they don't come back. And my question is, why don't they come back? Like, why didn't they come back? They should know better. They know the Levitical law. They know all this stuff. Why don't they come back? I can't help but read into it and believe, like, it's almost like they felt like they deserved to be cleansed. Like, this is something you owe me, God. Don't you know who we are? We're the Jewish people. We're the chosen ones. You should do this for us. You owe this to us. You know what scares me sometimes about us? You know what the problem with undeserved grace is? The more we experience it, the more we come to believe we deserve it. The more we bask in it, the more we deal with it, the more God gives us grace, the more like, you know what, God, I know I messed up, but I know you'll show me grace again, and you better show me grace again. You know why people who worship the best are the people who are new converts? Why? Because they don't know any better. They know the true depths of their depravity. I can't help but see myself in these same guys, but I've kept walking, what I had faith in what I've done. Look at my faith has healed me because I've walked. 
And he comes back, and Jesus throws this subtle line on him. He says, your faith has healed you. Literally, the rendering there literally means your faith has saved you. I don't think this man is saved. Like, he gets salvation from his healing because of his faith. I don't think it's anything in that. But I think it's a different lifetime sort of thing. Listen, sickness may come back at some point. Troubles may come back. You may pray, God, deliver me from the situation. But can I tell you, not too long, another situation is going to come up. But at what point do you constantly come back and say, it's about God. It's not about the deliverance. It's not about the blessings. It's about the blesser. Too often, our relationship with God is completely wrapped into what he's given us and what have you done for me lately. And this is where thankfulness plays such a role. You see right here that thankfulness leads the Samaritan back to Christ. But ungratefulness in the situation leads the others away from him. And so it's important for us as believers to develop a lifestyle of thanks because, listen, when we don't, it pushes us farther and farther away from God to where God suddenly becomes our puppet and we're the puppeteer. Do our bidding. He's like the genie from Aladdin that we rub the lamp when I need something, grant me my wish, now go back in your bottle and I'll pull you out when I need you again. And it's not about that. And so keeping this attitude of thankfulness, this attitude of humility, all sorts of stuff, will keep us in the right perspective of who God is. It'll always bring us back to God. And so how do we do these sort of things? If we just look at the life of the Samaritan, at the example he sets in verse 15, we see what he does. And so how do we develop a lifestyle of thankfulness? Well, look what happens. It says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, what did he do? He came back to Jesus. But my first thing I say to you, just a practical application, is make time to say thanks. You have to intentionally make time. He saw that he was healed. He turned back and made time to come back to Jesus. Well, like, understand this. Like, gratitude is an inconvenience we have to indulge. It is an inconvenience to stop what you're doing, to stop and say, listen, I'm going to write a note right here and say thank you. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. But it's an effort we have to indulge. These guys probably had all the excuses in the world as well. Really, it was my faith that healed me. I mean, I walked. It really wasn't Jesus. I mean, he didn't do it. Or, or I got to go do this. I gotta, I, he told me to go to the priest. I got to make sure I'm going to do this. And we don't make time to come back to Jesus. Like, how do you ensure that God gets praised in your life? How do you plan this thing out? I, I say it like this. Here, here's this. How, how do you make sure God gets praised in your life and make time to say thanks? I, I say you do planned out spontaneous appreciation. That sounds like a very contradictory term right there. Planned out spontaneous appreciation. Let me say this. First thing you do is immediately praise God when you notice it. When God does something in your life, don't wait till another day to say thank you. Stop what you're doing and immediately, God, man, I see what you're doing here. Thank you so much for blessing me with this. Thank you so much. I don't deserve this, but thank you so much for doing this for me. Like, stop immediately. We, we, we struggle with this. It says, when he saw, he turned back. I say you can also do deliberate times of praise in your life. I love one book talked about deliberate times of praise. It says you can keep a gratuity, a, a gratitude journal by writing out five things each day you're thankful for. God, every day I want to make sure I spend time and write down. We do that with the kids now at the table. Hey, what are you thankful for? And my kids naturally, uh, nothing. Like, no, you better come up with something. Like, we, we're like, you need to learn to be thankful for what's going on in your life. Set aside time with God to exclusively devote thanksgiving and praise. When you pray over meals, don't just say, thank you for the food I'm about to eat, even though you, and bless it to the nourishment of my body. When you've deep fried that thing and there's no way it can bring nourishment to your body, find other ways to thank God for what's in your life. I, I love my kids when I ask them to pray. Listen, there's a sense of honesty and realness. I, I, I have a separate God. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for this food. Bless and nourish my body. Amen. And I get right through it. It's almost like just verbal vomit that just comes out. I'm so used to doing it. My kids will sit there like, God, thank you, for, thank you for mommy. 
Thank you for Daddy. Thank you for Lexi. Thank you for Chair. You know, like it, it just like, they begin thanking for everything, and honestly, they really do mean all sort. Thank you so much, and then they hit a point like, "Thank you for my friend," and just help them. Like, man, it's just such an honesty about it. Find opportunities to thank God. Here, here's one that I don't do obviously a good job at: write a thank you card to God. God, thank you for what you're doing in my life. Build things in your life. Now, one more I'll give you is maybe you do spontaneous testimonies in conversations. What does that mean? When you have an opportunity to give praise to God in everyday conversation, throw it in there. If you spend any time with me at all, I'll share my testimony with you because I've made a long time commitment to God that, God, you've delivered me from this area of my life, and, and I'm, I'm going to share every time I can. Can I tell you, it's made some really awkward conversation. I begin to share my filth right in front of them. But listen, God gets the praise over and over again. Share your testimonies to God. Second thing you see is not just make time to say thanks, but I love the next thing you see him do. It says he began to shout praises to God. Here's what I would say. Hype up your praise. Now, I know I'm in a, a mixed group in here, so hype is a word you maybe don't understand. Let me break it down in Urban Dictionary for you. If you don't know what hype means, it's synonymous with like publicize, or, or it can mean to promote or, or publicly in a public and extravagant way. It means to make much of something or somebody. In other words, make much of God. I know that might seem redundant to some of you guys, but some people don't know the slang and lingo. It's like the time when I was in student ministry and I didn't know what YOLO meant. And I went around just hearing kids say it and I was like, YOLO, and I just began to repeat it and stuff. And I remember I finally got educated what YOLO means when one kid says, my grandma died, and I go, YOLO. And someone goes, dude, don't say that. If you don't know what YOLO means, it means you only live once. And uh, that was not a good thing to say after someone's grandmother passed away. And I realized, wrong terminology. Don't judge. I say this, hype up your praise. But listen, I love he comes in and he is shouting out praises to God. How often do we just want to internalize our praise? I'll keep it private between me and God. I really don't want to say much about it. I see myself in the same way with me struggling to apologize. When I know I do something wrong, I struggle verbalizing my apology to my wife and stuff. Hey, I messed up. I'm thinking, I know I messed up. I know I'm bad, but I really don't need to say it out loud. No, you need to vocalize it. You need to hype up your praise. It says he praised God with a loud voice. There's nothing wrong with bragging on God in public. There's nothing wrong with being boisterous about God and his name. There's something about bragging about yourself, and look at what I've done. When you're bragging on God, listen, shout it out from the mountains. You have the freedom. Look what God has done. Look how awesome he is. It gives praises to him. This looks like in our life by sharing testimonies of what God has done. This comes in our life through worship, private and public. How often do you just spend time worshiping God? How often do you honestly engage in worship in public and here? Too often we come and say, well, I don't like the song, I don't like the music, I don't like the drum beat. Listen, it's not about the song for you, it's about the truth of who the God is we're singing about. It has nothing to do with you. I don't care if it's a modern worship, I don't care if it's a hymn of praise, I don't care what it is. When it's singing truth about God, God is worthy of the worship and we need to sing his praise. You need to hype it up. Hype up your praise to God. Make time to say thanks. And the last thing I say is practice humility. This is one I struggle the most with. It says he fell on his face and began to gave, give thanks to God. Like, like, think about that for a second. He falls to his face and begins to worship and say, I am not worthy. When's the last time you remotely had an attitude like that with God where you didn't care what people thought and you would take a posture and an attitude of worship to God? Where, you know what, hey, he deserves even my humility in this. Like, you practice humility by removing all sense of pride from your response. 
Like this is beneath me to raise my hands. This is beneath me to get on my knees and worship. This is beneath me to do it this way. This is beneath me to sing out loud. Like that's for kids. That's for like, listen, it's not about that. God is worthy of our humility. I love in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 20 through 22, there's a passage about David coming back and they bring back the Ark of the Covenant, which if you don't know in the Old Testament, that was a symbol of God's presence in his people. And as they bring it back, David is so excited that he takes off his kingly garbs and put on his priestly garbs to start worshiping God. And his wife, Michael, comes out and says, man, you are making such a fool of yourself by, by disrobing yourself in front of all these people. Like, you're a king. This is beneath you. And David, I love, makes this comment. He says, do you think this is foolish? <laughs> Just wait. I'll become even more foolish than this. Because God is worthy of my worship regardless of my stature. Maybe you feel uncomfortable raising your hands. Maybe you feel uncomfortable. Listen, sometimes you need to do it despite your comfort because God is worthy of it. And so we practice humility by removing our sense of pride, by, by making God the goal of focus. Honestly, how often is the focus more on the faith we have? These guys went back like, look at what we did. We, just, we had faith that if we start walking back, God would deliver us, and, and look what happened. Like, listen, it's not about what you've done. It's about what God's done. Is God the hero of your story? It's too easy for me to talk about my previous sin in life and how God delivered me from all these things I struggle with. I can talk about all the blockers I put up and all the things I did in my life. At the end of the day, listen, it's because God saved me from that. He's the hero of the story. Or how often do we worship the gift instead of the giver? It's not about the gift you got. God, thank you so much. You're worthy. But when that gift is taken away, do you still worship God? I always struggle with this in my mind. I pray, God, would you deliver me? Would you help me through this? And if God helped me through this, and then a week later it happened, would I still think God is good? Would I still think God is worthy of my worship? Or would I just worship God because of what he gives me? Warren Wearsby, I love, said this. He said, too often we are content to enjoy the gift, but forget the giver. We're quickly to pray and slow to praise. Listen, the reality for us is this, is that when we refuse to worship God, it pushes us away from him. But when we encourage and we practice thankfulness in our life, it will always bring us back to God. Why? Because it reminds us who did it. It reminds us of who he is. And the fear, here's the thing that scares me. When we refuse to worship God, when we refuse to live a lifestyle of gratitude and praise, you know what happens? It pushes us to a place that God allows us to go. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 through 25, listen to this. It says, they knew God. But they did not give glory to God, and they did not thank him. And their thinking became useless. Their foolish minds were filled with darkness. So what did God do? God let them follow their evil desires. God gave them over to their way. And they traded the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served things that were made by man. But they did not worship God and serve God who made those things. See, God should be praised forever. Amen. This is why Grant's role is so important. It's to make sure as a church we never lose sight that it's God doing the work here, that God is the one we focus on. It's not about our efforts. It's not about our blessings. It's not about what have you done for me lately. It's a constant reminder that God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. and He's worthy of our attention. In every aspect of life, I need to come back. How am I responding in that thankfulness? Am I responding in worship? Am I responding in my giving? Am I responding in my praise? Am I responding in my life? The reality is we put it on the back burner and say, you know what? It's something maybe I'll get to later if I have time. You can't not make time for it. And so I ask you again, like, what does your thankfulness to God look like in your life? When I ask you, what are you thankful for, can you honestly come to God and say, God, I'm just thankful for you? Are you listing off all the things God's given you? Thank you for my house. Thank you for my job. Thank you for my health. At some point in your life, you may be that job where God takes away those things. 
And at the end of the day, are you still going to say, God, just thank you for you. You're all I want. And so I ask you right now, with your head bowed, eyes closed, I'm just going to ask you to spend time asking God this question because most of us want to tune out to this section and we begin to lose focus. As the band comes up and begins to push us into a heart of worship where we can just focus on thanking God, I'm going to ask you where you're sitting right now just to be gut-wrenching honest with God and say, God, where's the exposed area of my life where I am ungrateful for right now? Where I've harbored bitterness in my life that, you know what, really, I just need to come and worship you. Are you one of the ones that comes back or are you one of the nine that keeps walking and say, you know what, I'll worship God when he does this. God is worthy of our worship because he is God. He's worthy of our worship because of what he did on the cross. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God is worthy of our worship because God loved you so much that he says, One only Son, to die on the cross for your sins. And if you would simply place your faith and trust in him, not by anything you do, not by any effort you have to do, not by anything else, but by that alone, if you come place your faith in Jesus Christ, Scripture says you will be saved. And when you experience true salvation, there is no other response than thankfulness. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about because you haven't experienced salvation. And today might be your day. And so as I pray, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. We'll have an elder in the back, we'll have an elder in the front. You, you can come up to the front or you can discreetly go to the back, but I encourage you to do that. Maybe you need to find someone around you to pray for you. Say, you know, I've had a spirit of ungratefulness. Maybe you need to ask them, hey, would you just pray for me that God would change my heart on this issue? As I pray, you respond. Father God, I love you and praise you because you are worthy of it. God, forgive me in my own life where I constantly gripe and complain about aspects, about scenarios, about circumstances, and forget to worship you because you deserve it. God, forgive me for coming to church services in my life where I don't want to engage, I don't want to sing, I don't want to raise my hand because because I want something else or because I, I just don't feel like it. God, I know you want my honesty and you don't want me to worship in vain, but God, you, you are worthy of my worship regardless of how I feel at the moment. Now, God, I pray I'd give you that. God, tune our hearts into who you really are so that we can truly be thankful. I pray you'd guide us into your will, teach us your will, and humble us in areas we need to be humbled. God, we love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You guys come if you want to.